another episode of the Feminist Born Housewives podcast. I'm your host, Lindsay, bringing you another episode in the year of polygamy. And I just want to apologize for the sort of sporadic posting schedule happening on the podcast right now. As you know, it was conference weekend. It's April 2014 when I'm recording this, and it has been a very busy and exhausting weekend for Mormon feminists. So... I'm a little tired and a little bit burned out, but I will try to persevere like our pioneer ancestors did. So we're going to bring you another episode later on this week of another wife of Joseph Smith, but I've been inundated with all kinds of questions, and some of them that keep coming up are about John C. Bennett and the abortions, and so we're going to do a podcast on him coming up, and the other one that is coming up The question that's coming up is the question of Joseph Smith's children. So this episode is going to be dedicated to a brief short history of the children of Joseph Smith. Why is this interesting? Why is this related to polygamy? Well, of course, if Joseph was married to 34 women and having sexual relationships with them, why are there not more children? This is a really controversial topic. Now, I'm going to give you my personal bias up front which is, I do think that Joseph had sexual relationships with some of his wives, his polygamous wives, but not all of them. This was not uncommon in polygamy. Brigham Young would also say that he only slept with some of his wives and not with others. And many, many men did the same thing. Not many. Some men did the same thing that had a lot of wives. Brigham would only go on to have children with some of his wives and have zero children with other of his wives. So it's not like this is very uncommon. And you have to remember that Joseph Smith was an incredibly busy man. He only had a short period of time before the martyrdom in which he was acquiring a large amount of wives. Just a couple of years where he was allowed to to be with these women. And he is hiding it from his wife. He is hiding it from the law. He is hiding it from the community. And he is juggling a lot of plates in the air. Now, remember, by the time that he, you know, from 1841 till 1844, he has completely changed his title. He is in the government now. He's going to run for president. He's gone a lot. He's in hiding. He doesn't have a lot of opportunity to go make babies with these wives. So that is my personal opinion of why we don't have a whole long list of progeny from Joseph Smith. Now, that does not mean he didn't have children with Joseph Smith. There is actually a lot of scholarship done on this, and I'm going to be pulling most of my material from a fantastic book that I'm going to link. It's called Link. It's called The Persistence of Polygamy, and there is actually two, two editions of this. And this one is the first edition, and I would recommend getting these books. These are published from the John Whitmer Historical Association, and they are a collection of essays from scholars who know about this topic. And there's a particular chapter, a particular essay in this book by, I hope I'm saying this right, Hugo A. Perego, 
who is the sort of the expert on Joseph Smith's DNA. So for those who don't know, this of course is a controversial topic because a lot of people have agendas in, in, uh, I guess, pushing whether Joseph had children with these wives or not. There's a lot of mixed agendas why people want this sort of spelled out for them. And so DNA is an actually sort of a growing debate with Joseph Smith. And it has been going on for some matter of years. I know it's really important to the family members of some of these alleged children of Joseph Smith. And so I'm going to be pulling from a lot from his essay and from his work because as far as I'm aware, and I could be wrong, but as far as I'm aware, he's one of the leading people, leading researchers that knows the most about this. So his essay is called Joseph Smith Jr., The Question of Polygamous Offspring and DNA Analysis. But first, let's talk about what we do know that Joseph Smith um, did as far as children were concerned. Now, Joseph and Emma did not have a great track record at live births. That's another interesting thing to note. Um, their first child was born June 15, 1828, which was shortly after his marriage to Emma. Um, the child's name was Alvin Smith, born June 15, 1828, died June 15, 1828. He was born with undescribed birth defects. We don't know much about it. We just know that uh, he did not live. That was a difficult time for them. One of the most difficult uh, pregnancies that I read about, you can read about in Emma's biography, Mormon Enigma, uh, is the birth of their twins. So Joseph and Emma try again, and they have twins. They have Thaddeus Smith and Louisa Smith. They're born on April 30th, 1831. So this is a few years after Alvin passes away. The children die. They're, uh, they're, they're born premature, and they die within a few hours of the birth. Both of them die. It was devastating for Emma. It was devastating for Joseph. Now, strangely enough, at the same time, a man named um, John Murdoch, his wife is giving birth to twins as well on April 30th, 1831, and March 29th. Um, she's giving birth, and she dies in childbirth. So she has twins, and their names are Joseph Smith Murdoch and Julia Murdoch. So this man, John Murdoch, has just lost his wife. I believe he had other children, and he didn't he didn't know what to do with these twins. So it just happened to be that Emma had lost her twins, and so Joseph and Emma were given these babies to raise, which was a great comfort to them. Now, unfortunately, Joseph Smith Murdoch, the little boy, uh, would die at 10 months old. He didn't last very long. But Julia Murdoch Smith would go on to live till age 49, and she was quite quite important in Emma's life. She, she lived for a long time and was a good support to her mother for a long time. So they raised these twins that um, were not theirs biologically, but Julia ended up living. So from April 30th, 1831, um, Emma would have Julia live for two years until they had the famous Joseph Smith III. Now, Joseph Smith III is a very important character because he would go on to be the prophet of the restored LDS Church, the RLDS Church. He was the prophet and the president of the reorganized Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. He was a huge opponent of polygamy, and I am so grateful to him because we, because of his anti-polygamy campaign, 
we have a lot of information about Joseph Smith's polygamy because he went back to Utah several times visiting family members and old friends of his mother's to get to the bottom of his father's practice. He was born on November 6, 1832, and he would die December 10, 1914, and he was, I think, 80, that would make him 82 years old. So now we have living Julia Murdoch Smith and Joseph Smith III. Next, we have Frederick Granger William Smith. He would be born on June 20th, 1836. So they have their little girl born on, in 1831, Joseph Smith III, born in 1832, and then Frederick Granger Williams, born in 1836. Frederick would die at age 25. I'll just touch on that for a minute. I believe he was named after um, Frederick G. Williams, who was ascribed to Joseph Smith um, and a, an, an important person in the early church. So Frederick's story is really sad. Uh, he would live in Nauvoo with his wife, Anna Marie Jones, just in, this, in, in their farm outside of Nauvoo. And he was ill for a long time. And it's said that around Christmas time in 1861, Joseph Smith Jr. III rode out to visit him and found that Frederick's wife had left him two days earlier. And he was so sick in bed. The fire was out. There was no wood chopped and no food or water in the house. And Joseph Smith III did what was necessary to try to fix it and went to go get his mother. And they moved Frederick back to the mansion house where his health continued to decline and uh, he died on April 13, 1862, and was laid to, to rest in the family cemetery near the homestead. And the Nauvoo church bells told 26 times for each year of his short life. And so that was a devastating loss to the family. Um, then we have Alexander Hale Smith, who was born on June 2, 1838. He would die in 1909, age 70, 71. He was a senior leader of the RLDS church as well, and also a big opponent of polygamy. And I would I would recommend looking up all of these all of these men. They um and and Julia Murdoch Smith. They all have interesting, fascinating lives. And they are not just you know children of the prophet. They all did interesting things. Then on June 13, 1840. Don Carlos Smith was born. He, of course, was named after Joseph's brother, Don Carlos, who would pass away. Um, and Joseph would go ahead and marry Don Carlos's wife. We've already talked about her, Agnes Coolbreath. But he was born in 1840, and he died September 15th, 1841. He was 14 months old. And then it's said that they had a male child that was a stillborn that was born on February 6th, 1842. That also died, you know, the same day he was born. And then the interesting case of David Hiram Smith. Now, for those that are familiar with church history, Emma Smith was pregnant when Joseph died. This is an interesting case because by this point, Joseph and Emma's relationship was incredibly, incredibly rocky and fraught and complicated. You know, Joseph is accusing Emma of poisoning him and, and all of these things. And if you're interested, I've had people say, are you going to talk about Emma Smith? We actually did talk about Emma Smith. If you go through our archives, we have a two-part series where we interviewed John Hamer, who is a fascinating, brilliant church historian for the Community of Christ, the old RLDS church. And we talk about Emma Smith's life in 
in pretty good detail. So I would recommend that you listen to that. But David Hiram Smith was born shortly after um, his father's death, November 17th, 1844. So a few months after the martyrdom. You can imagine what that was like to be born during that time. He would die in 1904 at age 59. His story is is really interesting. He was he was talented. He was, you know, tried to be a religious leader. He was a painter, a poet, a singer, a philosopher. I believe he was into naturalism and very influential in the early Latter-day Saint movement. Um he would be raised by Emma Smith's second husband, Louis C. Bitterman. He was also a missionary for the RLDS Church, and he did a lot of the Midwest. He went to the Utah Territory and to California, and he would debate preachers. Um, and from, I think, 1873 to 1885, he was a counselor to his brother, his older brother, Joseph Smith III, in the First Presidency. He was also the father of Albert A. Smith, who was the member of the First Presidency and the presiding patri- patriarch in the RLDS Church. Um, they called him the sweet singer of Israel because many who knew him or who heard him sing and joined him in song stated that he was the most inspiring singer that God had ever encountered. Um, now, sadly, there's an interesting book you can read about him. It's called From Mission to Madness, Last Son of the Mormon Prophet by author Valine Tippett's Avery, and they describe Smith's mental deterioration. Um, We know that he had some sort of breakdown in 1870, and by 1904, he died in an Illinois asylum for the insane. So he had to be committed. We have this really touching letter in 1869 that where he wrote to, before his breakdown, he wrote to his mom, Emma Smith. He was at the time age 24. He wrote, mother, I must tell you, I feel very sad and the tears run out of my eyes all the time. And I don't know why strive as I will. My heart sinks like lead. I must tell someone my troubles. He would be institutionalized for 27 years. And, um, the book is a large part about the correspondence and the poetry, um, to examine his personality and his mental state, but you should know that institutions at that time were not a happy place to be. They didn't understand mental illness. If you had a problem, this is where they put all kinds of people. So his is a really sad story. So those are the children of Joseph Smith and Emma Smith. Um, so there's that. Now, that's a whole story in, in and of itself, but now let's talk about the CD details that everyone wants to know, the alleged children born to Joseph Smith from his polygamous wives. So this is where we uh, borrow from Perego's work. He talks about the complicated uh, process of doing DNA work, and it's fascinating. I'm going to let you buy the work. I'm not going to. I'm not going to give you all of the dirty deets that the that the essay spells out for you, because you really, really need to read it. But he talks about the efficacy of DNA testing and how it all works and the basics of molecular genealogy. And it's actually a, a big field. What's interesting is um, in developing this niche of molecular genealogy, the Joseph Smith Sr. family was identified as a really good test case for reconstructing ancestral DNA. And so 
a lot of research went to do this. It wasn't just driven by Mormons or um, family members. It was considered a really good t- test case. Um, the number of living descendants of Hiram Smith alone exceeds 15,000 people. And there are other genealogical situations that there are ideal family members that are, would be applicants, good applicants for this molecular genealogy. Now, the, the essay goes on to describe this complicated system of uh, why you need to test males over females and this kind of thing and how their DNA works. But I'm going to tell you, I'm going to give you the list of names of people that are considered, that are supposed to be considered um, probable, possible children of Joseph Smith. So in the essay, we have... 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. We have at least 14 kids that we know about that are said to be Joseph Smith's children from his polygamous wives. We have Oliver Norman Buell, whose mother was Presindia Huntington Buell. We have John Reed Hancock, who was Clarissa Reed's son. We have Moroni Llewellyn Pratt, who is Marianne Frost's son. We have Orson Washington Hyde, who belonged to Nancy Miranda Johnson. We have Frank Henry Hyde, who belonged to Nancy Miranda Johnson. We have Josephine Rosetta Lyon Fisher, who belonged to Sylvia Sessions. And remember Josephine's name because she is the only one that really has a good case to being an actual child of Joseph Smith. And I think that most scholars agree with that. We have Josephine Henry King, who belonged to Margaret Crichton. We have Mosiah Lyman Hancock, who belonged to Clarissa Reed. We have Zebulon Williams Jacobs, who belonged to Zina Diantha Huntington. Carolyn Delight, who belonged to Lulu Vermillion. We have um, alleged son or daughter that belonged to Hanny Dubois. We have an alleged son or daughter that was also born to Fanny Alger. And again, if you read this fantastic essay in this book by Don Bradley about Fanny Alger, there's talk of Fanny, you know, leaving town because she was pregnant, and when she remarried, she had a baby right after. Again, I didn't cover that in the Fanny Alger uh, episode because there's some scholarship on it, but I like to pull from general sources. Not that uh, Don Bradley is like the first and foremost source on Fanny Alger, so I trust him completely, but it's a really complicated issue that I don't feel like a podcast does justice for, so go ahead and buy the book again. There's also George Algeron Leitner, who belonged to Mary Rollins Leitner, and Sarah Elizabeth Holmes, who belonged to Marietta Carter. Now, if you're paying attention to these mothers' voices or names, many of these women do not make the list of uh, generally accepted wives of Joseph Smith. So that's interesting as well. There are other rumors that Joseph married a lot more women than is on the sort of acceptable list. And, you know, I think it's probable to assume that Joseph was a man who had a lot of enemies. So there was a lot of rumors being spread about him at the time. And so I really like keeping with Compton's list, uh, some of the church historians lists, the number of like 33 to 34 wives. But of course you should know about this series that there are many more women that are accused of having sexual relationships with him. If we talk about John C. Bennett's abortions and Sarah Pratt and all of that, you're going to hear about some of the women that Joseph allegedly tried to uh, cover up his relationships with by sending them to John C. Bennett. 
to have abortions. So we'll talk about that later. That's a really controversial topic. So all of these people um, have been or are being tested or will be tested. And I have to tell you through this complicated process, a number of them have been ruled out. So far, these tests have to do with mitochondrial DNA and the only test male progeny. So that's important to note. And so this is why they cannot test all of the progeny of all these people because they don't have particular male progeny and certain strains of DNA. And that really complicates the issue. And with some of the testing that they have, um, they, they just don't have enough conclusive evidence. So it's not like all of these people have been ruled out either. It's just that our, the way that it's being tested currently has ruled out some, but is not able to rule out all of them. I'm going to read you a section from this essay. And this is on page 239 of The Persistence of Polygamy. And they say, and uh, he says, quote, Fortunately, a few direct male descendants of both Joseph Smith III and Alexander Hale Smith, remember those were sons of Emma and Joseph, were identified and willingly donated a DNA sample to this project. Additionally, other descendants from Joseph Smith's brothers, Samuel and Hiram, as well as other descendants from Joseph Smith's uncles also contributed a biological specimen from which DNA was extracted and, yes, da- yes, data obtained. Over time, with the intent of examining autosomal DNA questions, more than 100 individuals, males and females, sharing Aziel Smith as their MRCA donated DNA and genealogical data to the Sorensen Molecular Geneolo- Genealogy Foundation. That's a mouthful. And he goes on to say, he goes on to, to explain this process, and he has this great, great chart that shows uh, the chromosomes being tested, the Y chromosome profiles, and how this works, and how there are ways that you can rule out people, even if you don't have all their DNA um, profiles. Yes, profiles are important. Um, any direct paternal descendant of Joseph Smith, no matter who the mother is, would have the same yes profile. Of, as each other, if Joseph Smith was her father, um, and so it's really fascinating this this science, and I would and I would encourage you to buy this book because it really explains. This is not like a, I mean, even though they don't have a lot of conclusive information, this is actually a really cool science. There's a lot we can know from it. Um, they talk about the ideal situations of having a really concrete line of DNA to test or testing brothers or directly testing descendants that we know, but it's just, it's really hard. So the, the, the most fascinating one, um, is Josephine Rosetta Lyon Fisher. She was born February 8th, 1844 in Nauvoo, Illinois to, uh, parents, Sylvia Porter Sessions and Windsor Palmer Lyon. And we talked about her already. We did a podcast about her. You can look up Sylvia Sessions Lyon and uh, hear her story. Now, this is a fun exercise. I always tell people to do this. Go ahead and Google image search a picture of Josephine Rosetta Lyon Fisher. And then go ahead and Google image search her a picture of her parents, Sylvia Porter Session and Windsor Palmer Lyon. For me, when I look at a picture of Josephine, she looks 
eerily like Joseph Smith Jr. She, I mean, her eyes and then her mouth looks just like some of his children, like Joseph's children and his brothers. It's just, it's fascinating to me. But it's not just uh, photographic evidence, if you could call it that, that makes a lot of people think that Josephine is Joseph Smith's daughter. It is reportedly said that when her mother was on her deathbed, that she told, she brought Josephine close and said, before I die, you must know you are the only living daughter of Joseph Smith Jr. And that is something big in their family. I talked to some of the descendants of their family. This is a huge issue for them. And it's interesting. You have a lot of people rooting for the DNA to be conclusive that they are related to Joseph Smith. That's a big sense of pride for them and whatever other reason. And then you have some of them that don't want it to be right because a lot of them don't like the idea of uh, Windsor Palmer Lyon sort of being um, kind of being like not the father of Josephine. So it's a really fascinating thing. Now, there's problems with testing Josephine's DNA. It's probably the strongest case of an alleged, alleged biological child, Joseph Smith. But the well-developed sciences of yes and mtDNA testing cannot address this relationship at all. We do know, let me, let me read um, Josephine's affidavit. So she says, quote, Just prior to my mother's death in 1882, she called me to her bedside and told me that her days on earth were about numbered and before she passed away from mortality, she desired to tell me something which she had kept as an entire secret from me and from all others, but which she now desired to communicate to me. She then told me that I was the daughter of the Prophet Joseph Smith, she having been sealed to the Prophet at the time that her husband, Mr. Lyon, was out of fellowship with the church, end quote. And you can read about that in, in Sacred Loneliness. A lot of weight has been given to this affidavit from family members and scholars. And her very name, her very name, Josephine, suggests some sort of connection to Joseph Smith. Now, here's the problem. Her being a woman, she did not inherit the male characteristic, yes, chromosome from her father. And her MTN DNA is not applicable in the sort of testing situation that they've been able to test other descendants or alleged descendants of Joseph Smith as her mom's DNA is not in question. A different avenue of testing is going to have to happen for them to determine if she's um, a biological child or not. And I know that in about two year, the year 2000, a considerable number of DNA samples from both male and female descendants of Josephine's 10 children were collected through their assistance, and to date, more than 120 people sharing Josephine Rosetta Lyon and their MRCA and removed from her by as few as three generations have contributed DNA samples as well as pedigree charts to assist in the case study. Hundreds of these descendants really want to know what's happening, and many were hopeful that the DNA would provide some answers. Now, even in just a decade, the, they're saying that the technology is advancing a lot. But um, if you go into read the chapter, there's a lot of um, interesting stuff that says why this is complicated and why it's still being worked out. So it is still being worked on. They are still trying to find um, the proper forms and methods of testing to figure out if these 
these children can be attributed to Joseph Smith. They have effectively ruled out some of some of the children. I'll just give you an example. Zebulon Jacobs was considered a possible son of Joseph Smith, as stated by Richard Van Wagner in Mormon Polygamy, in his research Mormon Polygamy. And Van Wagner was a church historian. His brothers, Henry C. Jacobs, his brother, Henry C. Jacobs, was born in 1846, two years after the martyrdom of Joseph Smith, and therefore excluded as a possible Joseph Smith descendant. So from the book, quote, DNA samples were collected and analyzed for descendants of both Zebulon and Henry, and the two yes haplotypes were a per- perfect match. This indicates that they shared the same biological father recorded as Henry Bailey Jacobs, although additional paternal lines could not be tested to ensure it. However, the Jacobs profiles differs from that of Joseph Smith at nine locations on the chart, removing Joseph Smith from the pool of candidate of biological fathers, end quote. Likewise, from the book, there's another fascinating story. This is Orison Smith. From the book, quote, Fanny Alger has been recorded as a possible first plural companion of Joseph Smith. Although evidence about this union is quite inconsistent, purportedly in 1836, Fanny was pregnant. But no additional information is available about the birth of the child and the name of the father. Several years ago, a man surfaced who claimed to be the descendant of an Orison Smith, son of Joseph Smith and Fanny Alger. The only supporting information available about the Orson Smith was the approximate year of birth, 1834, and the location of his birth somewhere in Ohio. As of today, the public genealogical database, FamilySearch.org, still lists him as the son of Joseph Smith and Fanny Alger. While the previous two case studies presented strong genetic evidence in excluding Joseph Smith as a biological of the two alleged sons, This case presented specific challenges dealing with a single descendant with a poorly documented genealogy. Again, they don't have his mother's profile, so that makes this complicated. All that could be done at this time was to run the DNA of the individual that contacted us, he himself being a smith and claiming a direct paternal ancestry to Orison, and compare his DNA with Joseph Smith's inferred, yes, haplotype. The comparison resulted in nine differences between haplotypes, which are too many to indicate a possible biological relationship within Joseph Smith's lifetime. Notwithstanding its poor documentation, until an additional paternal descendant of Orison can be identified and tested, we cannot completely rule out the alleged connection since we cannot rule out MPEs in the generation separating Orison Smith from the individual tested. So there's a whole bunch of situations like this. They're all different and they're all unique depending on the evidence that they have. And so it's interesting. There are some that they can rule out completely, but they cannot rule out all of them. So did Fanny and Joseph have a child? Possibly. Was it this man that showed up? Possibly. Is it likely? No one knows. I mean, there's just not a lot of information out there to help us with those conclusions yet. Um... DNA is is advancing even still. There's more to learn. I know that they're still considering um, they're still considering testing some of these these people, and the families are really excited about it. We do know that they tested Moroni Pratt, who is a descendant of Parley P. Pratt and Marianne Frost Pratt. Uh, the DNA test 
was complete in May 2005, and that was considered negative. So Moroni Pratt is not a son of Joseph Smith. Um, we know that Zebulon Jacobs was negative. That also, you know, I brought that up. We know that um, Mosiah Hancock, that was born to Clarissa Reed Hancock and Levi Hancock, was completed in 2007, and that was a negative results. He is not a son of Joseph Smith. We know that John Reed Hancock, was his DNA was completed in 2011, and he was also negative. And we know that Oliver Buell, who was Presidia Huntington Buell and Norman Buell's son, uh, was completed in 2007, and he is also negative. And so there are some incomplete statuses happening. Frank Henry Hyde... Um, Orson Washington Hyde, he died in infancy, so there's no way to test his results. Um, Josephine Rosetta Lyon is the one I was talking about that, that is still being worked on. Algeron Leitner, um, he died in infancy as well. So it's just a really complicated mess. But to answer the question, if Joseph Smith had polygamous children with, or children with polygamous wives, the answer is we don't know. We don't know. It's still being worked on, and we may never know, unfortunately, because, like I said, some of these children died in birth. There are accusations of abortion. These women are smart. They knew um, they knew how to be careful. Many of them knew how to be careful because, remember, this practice had to be kept sometimes from their own husbands, allegedly, and certainly from Emma Smith, and there was a lot, there was a lot online. Um, on the line if they got pregnant. Not only their reputation, but their very life and the life of their prophet. And so it's not so easy just to say, did he have children with these people or not? Put yourself in that situation with all those complicated factors, and we can only begin to understand um, what was going on in their head and with the biology. I mean, it's, it's, it's fun to speculate, I guess, but it's really, really hard to know. So I would encourage you to buy The Persistence of Polygamy. I don't think I can sell those books enough. Fantastic essays. And as we talk about Brigham, I'm going to be pulling from them even more, especially the second edition, because there's some great, great, great stuff about that in there. And um, I would also encourage you to study and read about the progeny of Joseph and Emma Smith fascinating stories. So thank you for joining me on another episode of A Year of Polygamy. And again, I apologize for the sporadic podcasting schedule. Um, I just, it was a really hard weekend. And so after I process that, maybe we'll talk about that on the podcast. But thank you again. Um, if you can contribute a small donation, that would be fantastic. There's a lot of research and money that goes into this podcast. So if you could show a little bit of support, that would be fantastic. And I would love to hear your comments and feedback. That would also be fantastic. Leave them in the comment section at feminist Lone Housewives Podcast.org. And thank you so much for listening. Have a good week.